This episode of Stranger Than Christian is sponsored by Swedish, a Swedish candy company with pick-and-mix walls of over 70 different Swedish candies along with Swedish home goods and lots more. I've tried a lot of their candies. I think this place is awesome. My favorite is the Maribel Bar. It is a candy bar. It's real chocolate. Like, you can taste that it's real chocolate. And it has little bits of salted caramel throughout. Highly recommended. Go visit Swedish Wednesday through Sunday at 356 North Queen Street in Lancaster. Or place your order online at SwedishCandy.com. That's S-W-E-E-T-I-S-H Candy.com. The end of one chapter and the beginning of another. The final episode of the first season. Today I'm talking to Honey. Live from Brooklyn, New York, this is Stranger Than Christian. everyone. Welcome to Stranger Than Christian. My name is Christian Carrion. If you don't know by now, this is the show where you can hear unscripted, unfiltered, unrehearsed conversation with complete strangers from all over the world. And it has been such a joy bringing you this show for the past 30 episodes. 30 is not a really big number, but I remember when I was uh, really nervous to do this show. And I was really nervous to put it together. And when I got to about four, four episodes, I sort of psyched myself out and I got really uh, self-conscious about it. And I started working full time. And that thankfully, in my mind, thankfully, took me away from having to put myself out there like that and, and uh, uh, create this project that I was hoping people were finding interest in. But, you know, you never know. Um. So after this episode, you will still be able to hear the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on, whether that's Spotify, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Deezer, TuneIn, Google, Amazon. It'll still be on the website, StrangerThanChristian.com. But as of Monday, September 28th, Stranger Than Christian is now a production of Radio Free Brooklyn. And we will be on the air in New York City. I will be broadcasting the show every Monday at 2 a.m., which I'm really excited about. See, to somebody who maybe doesn't know broadcasting, 2 a.m. might seem like um, like a dead hour. But I have to tell you, I'm really excited for it because I think that the show has immense late night vibes. And I've said it on a previous episode, but I'll say it again. As somebody who worked overnight at various hotels for the past five years, I would be so excited to just be stumbling across podcasts, programs, whatever, live radio. Um, and at two o'clock in the morning, just come across somebody who's having conversation. Conversation has a sort of medicinal quality. And I think that conversation, deep conversation, which you know, these conversations tend to get pretty deep most of the time, has a really cool, almost fluorescent effect if you throw it against the backdrop of late night. Anyone who's ever stayed up all night with their friends and had a conversation around that big glass table everybody had on their back deck or their back porch, 
anyone who ever talked and talked and talked until the sun came up and then realized that you had become inextricable friends with the person that you had just bared your soul to um, will understand and appreciate that having a conversation at two o'clock in the morning is a much different flavor than having a conversation at four o'clock in the afternoon or even seven o'clock in the evening, eight o'clock. So we will be on Radio Free Brooklyn, and I have some people to thank. First of all, Tom and Aaron at Radio Free Brooklyn, who contacted me, wanted to put me on. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, to Joanna Van Tyne and everybody involved with the Apocalypse Podcast Network, um, thank you for the mutual encouragement. Thank you for uplifting me. I'm glad I hopefully have been able to uplift you in our uh, in our communication and my partnership with them will not end with this new chapter in the show's life. Thank you to Corey and Gerald, my two uh, patrons on Patreon. <laughs> um, thank you to Bob Haig. Thank you to my wife, Kat, who has, even to this day, walked me through Many moments of insecurity and self-doubt and self-hate and self-analysis and self-flagellation. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for making sense of all the squiggles. I love you. And the show would be nothing without the dozens of people that I have talked to. Lindsay, Darren, Kevin, Bobby, my two anonymous friends, Chris, Cece, Balin, Jim, David... Senna, Rebecca, John, Inara, Dylan, Angel, Sabrina, Akshay, Alice, Morton, Hicham, Mike, JP, Jeremy, Mario, JD, and Brandon. It's a lot of names. And uh, those are all people that sat down for an hour of their day and uh, had a conversation with me. And they are instrumental in the success of this show. So thank you to all of those people. Today I'm talking to Honey. Honey is a podcaster and we are on the same network, the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Her podcast is called, was called The Revolving Door, now called The Honey Leave It Show. Um, and it is a podcast that focuses on honest conversation regarding sex and relationships and love and dating. And uh, I respect what she does in the same way I respect anyone who can be honest and forthcoming with themselves, especially about sex and relationships, uh, an area which I think a lot of people have shortcomings that they are hesitant to speak up about. Uh, I think that her show does a fantastic service to anyone who listens and uh, feels inspired to have the same type of conversation with their significant other or their partner. Um, or even with themselves. I think that self-conversation is so important and the ability to look at yourself and identify things in yourself that are worth speaking up about, even if you're the only person listening. It's just so important. So I'll be talking to Honey today and thank you so much for listening to this show. We are going to knock it out of the park and you're going to be there for it and I'm so excited. My conversation with Honey will be coming up in just a minute, but first, here is a word of interest about another fantastic program on the Apocalypse Podcast Network. You're listening to Stranger Than Christian. Stay right there. Let's teach people something super quick. Every year, uh, more people die from getting hit on the head with coconuts than they do from shark attacks. <laughs> 
<laughs> like dead dead? It's not that many because like only like one or two people I think die from shark attacks every year below teens for the coconuts. Coconuts are hard. Teach, Teach me, me something, something good. good. Now on your local favorite podcast thing. <laughs> yeah, all podcast things. Hello. Hey, honey. Hi. Hey, hi, Christian. How are you today? I'm good. <laughs> good. We <laughs> we've never said hi to each other before. No, we have not. <laughs> no, never ever. What never is okay? Once. We're, we're on the same podcast network, and I'm still trying to figure out what that. That's means. right. What that means? <laughs> right. What do you so, ever want to? Oh wait, hold on, hold on. Sorry. DSLR photography, mastering Illustrator. Speaking of creative oh, digital Jesus Christ, what did I do? Using Adobe Fresco. Do you have no <laughs> words are? Maybe you should go to skill. I, I, it's so funny. Because, I'm so sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. I love, I love when shit like that happens. You like do gas? Not be sorry. Good. I'm full of them. Good, 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 good. No, this, I, I, I mentioned it on another episode. Um, just about every one of the first, maybe like 10, 15 episodes I did, always began with one of us, either the guest or me, apologizing for whatever, like, 10 minutes right. of audio problems we were having before we got connected and everything started going smoothly. Oh, so yeah. don't feel bad about that at all. It's a learning curve, to be sure. It really is. How long have you been doing your podcast? Um, I started recording in January, and then... Um, you know, my friends were all telling me that I should have like 10 episodes before I even started releasing. And I was like, that seems like a lot, but uh, okay. So I, I didn't release until April. Um, but I, I really only had like four when I started. I was just tired of waiting. Uh, <laughs> now it's gotten in like a more like even clip. Like I'm recording once or twice a week and I'm releasing weekly. Um, so that's going probably well. a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I um. I don't know. I heard that advice. I started promoting when I had one. I was proud of myself for just doing the one. Yeah. I think the, I think people just, um, the idea is that like you have a buffer, you know, if you, if you have to miss a week of recording, but, um, I've got a pretty, I've got a good buffer. I've got a, I've got like three or four, um, ready to go. And I've been editing and releasing out of order sort of on a whim. That's um, great to do. Isn't it, isn't it great to have material like, Mm -hmm. in the chamber so you can you can take a week and like just and just yes. edit and put something out yeah I love that I love it too do you put out an episode every week uh yeah I took a break in the summer um when George Floyd died I I um I took about a two-month break when I was just um, going to protests and agitating online um you know there's so much of podcasting that's self-promotional and the, I, I, it wasn't just about not releasing it was that I didn't want to have to do self-promotion during that time so um but I finally started going back to it because I was getting depressed not working on it like not having a creative project so I'm you know I'm still doing activism but I'm 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 doing a podcast again too good for you that's awesome wow it is it is depressing though to to have a project kind of sitting in your house and and you're not working on it or just yeah. to not be like creating in that way in the context of the pandemic and quarantine and being home do you think that creative types and people who who draw and paint and make audio uh do you think they have a different type of struggle in terms of staying home and 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 being you know staying in that in that healthy sort of mental state 
Maybe. I, I think that most people are creative in some type of way. Um, so I'm not sure that I, I necessarily fit like a creative personality type. Um, or really that anybody does. I'm going wide here. Um, <laughs> I think most people, you know, most people have to use creative energy on a regular basis in order to stay, um, um, in order to feel productive, in order to feel useful. I think um, for me, happiness is about purpose and being of use. Um, so if, um, if I can do that, if I can't work, at my job and I can do it in some other way. I, I really, really need it for sure. What are some of the other ways in which you've tried to be creative or tried to create or produce or, or, or stay uh, productive other than the podcast? Well, um, in the pandemic, no, no other way. The podcast is it. The podcast is my creative outlet. I do a lot of um, sound editing. Like I really, um, I really scrub my, um, episodes I do a lot of editing and I clean them up and I and that's my my favorite part of it so even though it's time consuming I still I still do it so um and then once I've done that and I create all my marketing material like that's that's about all the creative energy I've got <laughs> that's that's a lot though between because yeah. editing takes a long ass time it does. like I, I I edit a little bit like when I do when I do my podcast I try not to edit much at all. Like mm -hmm. if something massively distracting happens, that's going to take away from, like I locked my wife out of the house once during an episode. And that was like, oh, you could like hear her yelling at me in the back. For, like purpose? not wrong. No, no, no. It was total action. Cause we have, all right. We have three locks on our, <laughs> we have three uh. locks on our door. We have one lock that you can do with the key. We have one like ancient lock at the bottom. And then we have a deadbolt. So uh -huh. just as a force of habit, when I come home, I lock all the locks. It's just, that's just what I do. You live in New York, right? You understand that. I just yeah. lock all the locks. So I forgot that she can't do the deadbolt with the key. So I'm upstairs talking to some um, financial analyst from Argentina, and mm -hmm. I just hear this banging on the door. And then on the computer, I'm, I'm, I'm on my Mac, I get a notification in the corner. He says, can you please open the fucking door? <laughs> <laughs> so she's in the middle of telling me, you know, the state of the stock market during the pandemic. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Excuse me for a minute. And then, you know, I open the door and I go downstairs and she's yelling at me. And it's like mm. six or seven minutes that I just have to like cut out. When something like that happens, I'll take that out. Yeah. But other stuff, I just, I leave it in because I think that I hesitate to call what I do like an interview. I think it's more of just like a conversation. And sometimes mm -hmm. when you're meeting somebody for the first time and you're having that first conversation, shit doesn't go right. You might be talking to somebody, you accidentally fucking drop your coffee on the sidewalk. It might just happen that way. And that's just part of that experience. How do you recover from that? How do you mm. keep the conversation going in the face of shit like that? So for that reason, I'm like the complete opposite. I edit very rarely. Okay. Well, it takes all kinds. And I guess that's why we're, um, why it's good that we're on the same network doing guess, different things. I yeah. guess so. And when I say I, I was trying to figure out like what being a part of a network meant, I've never been that serious into podcasting before. This is rather new for me. Like mm -hmm. I started it, I did a couple episodes last year and then I restarted it while I was home in like March, April, and it's been going since then. Um, but well, what are the benefits of, of, of being part of a group of like-minded people? What do you see as the benefit to what you do? 
right now it feels less like I'm doing it in a vacuum. I mean, the nice thing is when I started releasing my podcast, I texted and emailed and social messaged, social media messaged um, all of my friends and was like, I'm doing this thing, please listen. And most of my friends started listening, which was great. So I I never really had to do it in a vacuum, which was awesome. And I'm super grateful to people um, who, I'm not saying most of my Facebook friends, Facebook friends are just, uh, that's a totally different thing. Um, but like most of my friend friends, my real life friends started listening and I started getting feedback and it was amazing. Um, but um, for me, like the benefit of being on the network right now is that like we all, um, we all have this thing in common that we do, um, which is make podcasts. And, um, you know, now that I'm following everybody on the network on social media and, you know, like retweeting um, everyone's tweets and commenting on everyone's posts. It feels more like a community. Um, and it feels very validating as a podcaster to have been asked by Joanna to join, you know, she's um, someone I admire a lot and I love her work. And she, you know, she puts out, um, a really interesting, like really thoughtful show every, you know, every week. And, um, and uh, she's just been, she's been a really good influence and I just like her a lot. So I felt very um, gratified to be asked to join. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it is great to be part of, uh, again, a like-minded group of people, because I think that if, if you're doing this kind of thing on your own, it is sort of the equivalent of screaming into the void and just kind of hoping that you hear mm. a response. Yeah. And I, yeah. And there's two uh, podcasts that I was listening to before we all joined the same network. And one was spooky doings, the, um, the horror movie podcast because I know Rick and Chelsea um, from comedy and um, and the other one was Hot Goss which was um, um, Shem and um, Lindsay and um, the other people whose names I am blanking on right. um, and I was already um, I'd already guested on both of those podcasts and I'd already um, started listening to both those podcasts because I liked them a lot so it was really it was cool that it was like oh good this network is for me too like as a listener. <laughs> Yeah, that's another thing. To be able to guest on each other's podcasts is really cool, too. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 it feels like a really cool, just like creative collective of people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think for me, living in Brooklyn, New York, um, is such, it's such a boon to like this type of thing. I've, I've, I've had so much access to so many people, um, except in the pandemic. Um, in, in, on the one hand, you sort of have access to even more people if you're doing it remotely. But on the other hand, I really miss sitting in the same room with people um, with my, you know, I, I have a full setup with two microphones and, and um, you know, I taught myself how to use all this equipment that um, I only use about half the time now. And uh, I'm looking forward to being able to be in the same room with people again. That really, for me, that really helps me. Um, yeah, I think conversation in general is better face to face. I mean, yeah. I, I enjoy what I'm doing now, and it's cool that I get to talk to all different people. But I would, I would really, ju- I had an idea for it about a year ago, and none of the restaurants in the area were interested. But I sent them a few episodes of the podcast, and I said, "Let me do this at in, like at your restaurant around lunch yeah. when there's nobody there. Let me get, let me find somebody on the Lancaster subreddit because I live in Lancaster." 
Um, let me find somebody who wants to talk to me. Or you don't even have to just give us a free meal. Just give me a burger, give them whatever they want and two drinks. And that'll be my payment for this. And I will sponsor your show. I'll throw two one minute commercials at the beginning and end. And mm-hmm. nobody was interested. And I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty decent idea. Man, I don't know. I, um, I haven't tried to sell um, uh, ads yet. And uh, that's, my, that's, gonna be, that's on my list, but it's kind of at the bottom of my list. Yeah, I don't really know how to do that. Like, I, I'm fortunate in that the local newspaper picked up the story of my podcast and they're, they're putting an article out about it, I think, sometime within the next week. So I think that in terms of going to like local businesses, because I feel like sponsoring a podcast is like really in right now for whatever reason. Mm. So I feel like going to local businesses and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm in the newspaper. Do you want to get in on this? I feel like that might drum something up. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that's a very homegrown strategy that I've never seen anywhere. So I have no idea if it's going to work or not, but I'm, I have nothing else to do. I'm, mm. I'm willing to try, you know, but other <laughs> than that, yeah, I have no clue. The conceit of your podcast is that you talk to complete strangers um, every week, right? Like, and, right. And each is like a different person? Yep. Every week is just a different person. We talk different for- type of person? Yeah. Well, that wasn't necessarily on purpose. Like what I mm-hmm. did when I had the idea for the show was I put out a, a Google form on Reddit on all the podcasting subreddit because I figured everyone who would answer would have a decent microphone. Um, and I said, <laughs> Smart. Yeah. And I said, you know, if anybody wants to talk to me, um for however long you want it usually ends up being about an hour that just seems to be how long they go um Mm -hmm. you know give or take a few minutes if anybody wants to do that just give me your info and i'll be in touch and people reached out from like all over the world that's so cool oh god it was just so cool and you know i had the idea like a year ago and i did a couple before i got really distracted by work and i was in one of those places where i just couldn't drive myself to make anything and um now being home, I, I sort of got that spark to like create something because I was afraid of just like not being home and not being productive. Um, mm. So in that context, it's really done a lot for me, but I feel like it does a lot for the people that sign up too, because I feel like it's a different type of experience in that, I mean, there's no preparation. Like you didn't have to prepare anything to do this. Like we no, I did not sent a couple messages and then you turned on whatever you turned on and then we're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. People aren't really used to that. And I feel like it's a sort of a disarming experience. Um, but you would know that because your podcast <laughs> deals with intimate topics, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It deals with very intimate topics. And my, my job is to get people to talk about their sex lives. Um, and then, I, and in some cases that they are people that I don't know. And so I have a few minutes to warm them up and then I've got an hour to get like the most personal details I can get out of them. And I, I make it a challenge to myself to get, you know, to get specific and to get emotional, like, um, details out, um, from people. And most people are game. I'll say that. Um, we all have our natural defenses when it talk, when it comes to talking about, um, sex and love and relationships. Um, but, um, for the, you know, for the most part, people have been game and they've been really open with me and, uh, it's been an amazing experience. And I've made a commitment um, to listeners to be open as well. So, you know, sometimes I'll um, uh, do just a short solo episode about things that are going on in my life because I think it's important to be um, vulnerable. And, um, and I find that the more that I do that, um, the more I'm connecting with an audience. And I think I just want to make 
um, a podcast that is useful to people. Like it, that entertaining, yes, but in some way, like useful, in some way, enriching, in some way, life affirming. And um, and I think that the for me the way to do that is to be is to get is to be as honest and real as I can, and to get other people to be as honest and real as they can be. Um, yeah, so that's always my goal. Now tell me if you agree with this, because I found this to be true in my experiences talking to people um, in a very unpolished and sort of freeform way. But I've, I've learned that part of the social dance between people is that honesty is rewarded with honesty. That if you're yeah. honest about yourself with somebody, they, whether it's knowingly or not, respond to that and reward you with honesty about them. And then that sort of interplay happens and it becomes a really cool, honest conversation. Do you find that to be true in the conversation? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think that we, um, I think that speaks to the fact that like, you know, humans are such social creatures, you know, we do take a lot of cues from each other. Um, You know, we tend to mirror each other in terms of body language. And um, so it would make sense that we would mirror each other in terms of um, honesty in conversation and you know it puts people at ease when you let them know who you are yeah it puts people at ease yeah definitely well I also would imagine that if you're dealing with topics like sex and love and relationships uh, that's if you if you're honest with the person that you're talking to about your experiences in those areas the other person will be as well and maybe even more so because traditionally that's not a thing that a lot of people are so willing to talk about. Like there are a lot of hangups and there are a lot of mm-hmm. perceived, uh, there's a lot of perceived sort of inferiority in that area. It's funny. We, our culture is so, um, it's so screwed up because we use sex to sell everything. And then we punish people for being sexual. <laughs> it's like, right. it's totally cuckoo bananas and it's even worse for women. Um, you know, there is this, like, we, we still have these, um, puritanical ideas. We still have this sort of like Victorian idea of women as being like the sort of moral center of families, which is total bullshit. Um, you know, cause it just like puts these burdens on women to be, um, quote, better than men when really like, we're all like sexual creatures that, um, and there's nothing inherently shameful about expressing yourself sexually like with another person provided they're consulting you know consenting person of appropriate age right uh you know it's um and uh i think i think i think that it is changing a lot and i think i hope that i am in some way like helping people feel like freer to talk about things. I I get a lot of messages from friends that I haven't heard from in years about things that are going on in their sex lives. And they're like, I wasn't sure who to talk to about this. Um, And I'm like, well, uh, a therapist is a great place to start, but you can talk to me too. (laughs) Right. You have to do that thing that they do on Reddit where they say, I'm not a lawyer, but you have to do that. It's so funny because it's funny that you say that because I actually went to law school and I am not a lawyer. Oh, good. Okay. Um, yeah. Because people say to me, they're like, oh, well, you're basically a lawyer. And I'm like, no, there's no such thing as basically a lawyer. You either are or you are not. And if you are not, you don't give legal advice. And I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a therapist either. But I, I think too, non-judgmental listening um, is 
uh, a skill that we have to practice. And also um, listening without trying to solve anything is a skill that we have to practice like as, as not only as like interviewers, but as people. A hundred percent agreed. Oh mm-hmm. my God. That's, you know, it's funny. I was actually talking about that with the guest that I had last week. She was a, a percussionist from Australia and she was talking about, I, I, I guess a theme that runs through a lot of her performances is uh, sexual assault and sexual abuse and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, the trauma that comes from that. Uh, and she talked about how in a lot of her relationships, one of the biggest problems was that the person that she would, uh, verbalize her problems to always tended to flip it around and make it about themselves and then try to give advice, you know, Ugh. instead of just like listening and internalizing. And sometimes you just need to be listened to. And yeah. if that isn't like one of the models of podcasting, I'm, I, I don't know what is, but mm-hmm. people just want to be listened to. Mm-hmm. It's really true. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I do, t- I, a lot of, um, people that I talk to have experience with sexual violence. Um, and it's such a specific kind of violence. And it's because you, when you um, abuse somebody in that way, you take this thing that's supposed to be like one of the best things about being alive and you damage it in the person. And it's so, and it's so incredibly unfair. It's not like getting punched in the face, um, you know, cause you can never get punched in the face again and have a good life. Um, but if right. you, if you just, you know, if you damage or destroy somebody's ability to enjoy sex, then, um, then you're really the worst kind of person. Um, and, and also again, because like, you know, we all have hangups, it, it, there's, it's doubly difficult for victims because people, what I have noticed is that people will put their own, um, mild discomfort ahead of someone else's trauma. So if someone is sharing about their trauma and it makes somebody else uncomfortable, that uncomfortable person will be like, they shouldn't be talking about this. Not I should listen to them and like, you know, be available. Um, and that's not 100% true, but I, you know, I have, you know, I see it in people a lot. You know, there is, um, people will trade um, your trauma for their own like mild discomfort, like, like 99% of the time. Right. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't have a ton of experience in, in, in this area, but it, mm-hmm. it seems to me that one of the main reasons why a lot of sexual abuse and sexual assault isn't reported is because the victim feels like they won't be listened to, that won't be right. heard properly, they won't be heard in the way that they need to be heard. I think that's part of it, and also because it's so often family members. Right. Yeah. Well, that, and then, and that's what they say that the majority of, of, mm-hmm. of that type of behavior starts either at home or very, very close to home. Yeah. I think too, for me, like I, I went through, um, besides, um, any sexual trauma, I went through, um, a pretty severe psychiatric trauma in my early twenties. I had, um, I had a psychotic episode um, and ended up spending six weeks in uh, Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan. Um, there, the doctors never gave me like a really concrete reason on like how or why it happened, except that like in your early 20s, your brain goes through its final stage of development. And so sometimes if you're going to develop new psychiatric problems, that's when they arise. Um, usually people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia, they are diagnosed in their early 20s. 
So when I was 20, um, 22, I had a psychotic break. And what that looked like for me is that one day I was having a lot of anxiety. And then the next day I was having a lot of anxiety and I was hearing things and I thought people were trying to kill me. And I like packed a bag and um, like wandered the streets of New York for hours in like at like four in the morning and somehow miraculously wandered into the emergency room at Lenox Hill Hospital where I was admitted um, because I was in a state of psychosis. Um, That's amazing. What do you think brought you to the door of the emergency room? I think, I think that something, somebody planted the seed in my mind. Um, and I, and it occurred to me that I might be safe. Um, the night before I went to the hospital, I heard noises coming from my roommate's room in our apartment in Spanish Harlem. And I thought someone was in there with a knife to her throat. And, um, that's what it sounded like to me when you in a psychotic state that like the information that's coming in, the, the, the things you're seeing, the things you're hearing, they're just getting scrambled like on the way in. So it's not like I wasn't hallucinating, like entirely like different, you know, and it wasn't like Fantasia, like there weren't any like dancing elephants, but the things that I was seeing were just, it was, um, the way that it was coming in was getting garbled. So I was hearing things that weren't really there based on things I was actually hearing. Does that make sense? Like I would hear, like, I could hear like the knocking in the pipes and I thought it was a code, if that makes sense. So anyway, right. so where it's almost sounds- like a hyper awareness kind right. of thing where, where right. you hear things that are there, but you, but the, the intent or it's yeah. like sort of misconstrued. Right. Yeah. And instead of hearing, and instead of any of these things being innocuous or innocent as they always, as they usually are in a normal state of mind, everything was contributing to like my fear and paranoia. So I heard, you know, noises in my apartment. I thought someone was trying to kill my roommate. I called the police. And when the police came, I went downstairs and let them in. They came up to my apartment and my roommate woke up and came out. And they were like, are you okay? Is someone trying to kill me, kill you? (laughs) And she was like, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. She looks at me and they look at me and the police and the cop goes, do you want to go to the hospital? And I was like, what? No. Like, I didn't understand why they were asking me that. Uh, And then they left. Um, And, but I do think that they planted the seed because uh, my roommate went back to sleep and I went back to um, being psychotic and you know, in a few hours later, I was, I had left the apartment and was wandering around. And then later that early the next morning, I was in the hospital. So I think the cop planted the seed. I also would like to point out that I am a white woman and uh, those cops um, might've done something entirely different. If I had yeah. Done. So you had that going for you. Yeah. I had, well, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that's, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Cause I, I, I hear stories all the time about, about, um, you know, African-American people in the United States, like in crisis, in mental health crisis and getting killed by the police. Um, right. And I think about it a lot because when I was in crisis, the police were like, were like, young lady, would you like to go to the hospital? And I was like, no. And they're like, okay, bye. Right, right. <laughs> it was a right. totally different experience and I got very lucky. Um, yeah. And then when I showed up at the emergency room, psychotic, they admitted me, they didn't call security or the cops. Um, so I, you know... I'm, you know, in a lot of ways, lucky to be alive and, and needing to acknowledge that, that that is part of my privilege as a white person. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny how often I talk to my white friends about getting pulled over or any sort of seemingly basic 
simple interaction between them and a police officer and how often they say, I realize that I'm white. And I realize that if I hadn't been white, this might've been a different interaction Mm -hmm. and just how thankful those people are that they are what they are. Yeah. When I was like 12, 13, 14, I used to get into trouble. And um, one time I've been in the back of police cars as like a very young teenager and like, they just called my parents and my parents came to get me you know, like, um, things that don't happen to African-American kids, African-American kids doing the same things that I was doing when I was a a bad kid ended up in juvie. I mean, it's like a totally, totally unbalanced, uh, system of justice that we have. And uh, I could go on and on about that for a million years. Um, what was the point of this? Oh, I remember. I started talking about this because, um, so having gone through the trauma of being, of being psychotic and then getting better, first of all, I'm very lucky to have gotten better. I'm very lucky to have never had had any psychotic episodes since. I'm, it's been um, almost 20 years and I've, I've had um, a chronic clinical depression most of my adult life, but I, I've never had psychotic episodes again. And I'm very, very, very lucky. Yeah. But what happens when you lose your mind and then you get it back is, um, <laughs> is that you develop PTSD about losing your mind <laughs> because once you're, once you're, you know, once, once I had all my faculties and all my wits about me again, I was like, holy shit, I was out of my mind. Like I couldn't trust my own mind and it was terrifying. But um, one of the benefits of it for me is that uh, I, I became a lot less afraid of things I've been afraid of before. You know, if you're, um, what were you afraid of before that? I mean, the the things that most people are afraid of in their early twenties, you know, what am I, what's my life going to look like? What am I going to do with myself? Like, am I going to be happy? Am I going to like have friends, you know, just like things that we're insecure about in our early twenties. Um, and once I, and once I was like, I was like, Oh my God, I lived, (laughs) uh, I, you know, it was, it was a different thing for me and like things, the, the stakes of life became more um, became easier to take in a lot of ways. And I became more confident in a lot of ways because I was like, I don't need to be afraid of all the things I was afraid of. Like I lived. Um, And like, I know what it's like to have, uh, to have the rug pulled under you out from under you completely and like lose everything in your life and then have to work to get it back. And like, um, and I, I got through it. So I, I felt like, good in that respect however it is a trauma and like I also get really like I panic around um really kind of any medical setting like it's really hard for me to be in a doctor's office um and forget about going to a hospital um uh but it also gave me a lot more compassion for the trauma that other people endure because I didn't have cancer. I didn't have a broken leg. I had psychosis and that was really scary for the people around me. And I lost a lot of friends, um, people who didn't understand and didn't want to know, and they were out of my life. So, um, for me, like when I talk to, um, friends who are victims of, um, things that other people find icky, like molestation or rape, Um, it's very easy for me to look them in the eye and listen to them because I know what it's like when people put their discomfort ahead of your trauma. Right. Right. 
I'd like to know more about your experience at the hospital. You said you were there for six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. Um, Well, I can tell you that I don't remember a lot of it for a couple of reasons. One is that I was on antipsychotic medication and um, tranquilizers for a lot of the time. And um, two, because in a state of psychosis, uh, everything is registering the wrong way. I spent the first couple of weeks convinced that every doctor I saw was someone I went to junior high school with. (laughs) Wow. And I thought I was trying to figure out, like, I was like, what is that kid Jeremy doing here? Like in the room with me as an adult. And, um, you know, and I kept, I kept like going around to other patients and, you know, um, people working on the ward and trying to figure out how we knew each other. I thought I was in some type of like concentration camp. Um, I thought there was, um, I thought there was a war going on outside. I thought, um, one time, um, the some of the other patients were watching um who wants to be a millionaire and you know they have like those risers that the audience sits in right i thought i was watching like a public execution (laughs) and that i was going to be next when i when other people were watching who wants to be a millionaire like i was watching regis philbin and as if he were some kind of like coliseum executioner um, my mom came to visit me one day and I, and I asked her if she was wearing a wire and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a huge amount of paranoia that goes along with being psychotic. And for the, for the longest time, the things that they were trying to treat me weren't working. Um, but, um, after they tried a bunch of different types of medication, they decided to try um, electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. Um, if you see ECT in movies, it always looks much more spectacular than it is in real life. Um, when they started ish- administering ECT in the 20th century, they were doing it without anesthesia. They were doing it, they were doing, um, str- sorry, electroconvulsive therapy is where they put um, electrodes on your um, body and, um, force your body to have a seizure. Um, the, if you've seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or, you know, movies like that, The Butcher Boy, there's a couple of movies where there's like these sort of extreme ECT scenes. Now, what is the benefit of that type of therapy for somebody who's having a psychotic episode? To the extent that I understand it, it's kind of a reset. Okay. Um, it's like turning a computer off and on again. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like a control alt delete. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so, uh, and they gave me, um, because it, it has a lot of side effects and it's kind of, um, it's very hard physically, um, tough on the body. Um, they tried a lot of other things first, but so about halfway maybe two thirds of the way through my stay in the hospital, we finally decided to try ECT. And after the first treatment I had, I was out of the psychosis and I was like back to being myself to, um, I was back to being a very depressed version of myself that had a lot of memory gaps because of the ECT. ECT causes short-term memory loss. Um, uh, but I was not psych- I was not in a state of psychosis anymore after the first treatment. And then I had five more treatments. So six treatments in total where they, they, um, they use um, anesthesia to put you under. So you're unconscious. And then they, they use a much milder current than they used to 
they use basically the lowest level electricity they can. So it's a, it's a much gentler procedure than it was when they first invented it. Um, and then, and then my insurance ran out and I, um, after very soon after my sixth treatment, I was out on the street, um, reeling from my experience in the hospital. Um, I was really lucky that my mom was with me. She was there every day. Um, she came to visiting hours twice a day when I had, confronted her about wearing a wire she just looked at me in the face and and lifted her shirt to see to show me that she wasn't right she didn't she didn't try to she didn't treat me like i was crazy she just loved me it was really it was amazing isn't that beautiful mm-hmm. isn't that and beautiful? I'm, she was scared out of her mind that she wasn't going to get me back sure because the doctors didn't know they tried you know the ect was the very last thing that they tried and um they had tried just about everything else it was a last resort and they were like telling her they were like she might be schizophrenic like this might not go away so incredible yeah it really incredible. was yeah that's incredible what do you do and 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 if you don't remember the answers to these questions that is totally okay okay um what did you do in your free time while you were in the hospital you know, actually, the time was kind of structured, uh, as I remember it. Um, when I first got there, I was almost catatonic. I couldn't speak. My the psychosis was really advanced, and I would, um, I was the, f I was in observation at, for at least the first four or five days. Um, and the observation room was an actual rubber room. It was um, there was a door with a big window on it that faced the uh, nurse's station so they could see me at all times. And then the room itself was just uh, like soft rubber walls and floor and like a small mattress in the middle. And uh, I don't remember what I did in there, but apparently I took off all my clothes and shit on the floor um, and did a bunch of other fucking crazy things that I don't remember. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have a lot of structured any time when I first got there. But then, um, then I got moved to, there's an observation wing within the lock ward. So I went from the rubber room to a regular room, but in the observation wing. So it was like, there's like a, there's like the whole ward is locked, but there's like a separate more secure area behind the nurse's station. And that's where I was. And um, there was a point where I became afraid that they were going to make me leave the hospital. Cause I really thought I was in the only safe place in the world being in the hospital. So um, one day when there was like an orderly, like making the rounds, I tried to hang myself in front of him so that I would be able to stay in the hospital. And then I was on 24 hour watch and 24 hour watch sucks. <laughs> 24 hour watch is a nurse who stays with you at all times, uh, making sure you don't try to kill yourself. And I had this toothless, old bitty uh <laughs> who i hated and i mean i'm not a i'm not an ageist person in my regular sane life but as a psychotic um individual i was like so fucking irritated that i had to have be on 24-hour watch after trying to kill myself right and this and i was always trying to get away from this woman because she would try to teach me to sing um gospel songs and then perform them for my mom when she came to visit it was oh, so fucking cuckoo bananas. That is not what you need. Oh, no. my God. That would fucking piss me off, too. No. Yeah, she would try to teach me to sing like Jesus loves me. And I was like, I was so 
over-medicated and so psychotic that I couldn't sit down this woman and be like, listen, lady, I'm an atheist. Like I'm a philosophy major in school. I don't buy into this garbage that you're feeding me. Like that, that was going through my brain, but it was locked in there. And my ability to speak it was not, was not, um, <laughs> I didn't have access to that. <laughs> so right. I was like, so there was like, part of me was like trapped. Part, part of my like rational self was like trapped inside of me being like, this sucks. Yeah. And, um, so, but the activity wise, the structure they gave us, like they, we had like um, morning exercise that was kind of like gentle movement. Um, we had three meals a day, which were the big events. <laughs> we had. Um, what was the food like? At Lenox Hill, it was amazing. Was it? Oh yeah. Cool. Lenox What'd you have? Upper East Side. Um, well, they had like a, you could pick what you what you ate. Uh huh. So they would have like a menu that, that would come around um, for the next day every day. And you could just like pick your food for the next day. That was like a, that was the main event of the day because like there's nothing else fucking going on. So just like, what am I going to eat? Became a big deal. Plus right. I was on antipsychotic drugs that make you very hungry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I was on a medication called Haldol that my, my, that my long-term psychiatrist after the hospital, he used to call it the blimp pill um, because it makes you want to eat all the time. Makes you that um, hungry, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we also had like, like they were like groups and like group exercises. There was definitely like a little bit of art therapy, a little bit of this and that. Sometimes there were different activities like in the day. And there were times that we were allowed to be in our rooms and there were times that we weren't. And I always wanted to be in my room when I could be. Um, Going uh, back to what you were talking about, regarding the woman who tried to teach you gospel songs. Ugh. The word that came to my mind when I heard that immediately was opportunistic. Oh, you know, she was just like a, she was a, um, she, I'm sure she thought she was doing the right thing. Uh, you know, she was, the people they hire to do that work are minimum wage. Um, they're not trained to deal with mental patients in the way that they probably ought to be. Um, and she was just, uh, she was just doing what she thought was, uh, was right. And she was just trying to pass the time herself. Like she had to spend like 12 hours a day following around like, you know, a tiny lunatic. So, well, I'm not that tiny. I'm so she was a toothless old bitty, but you get it. I get it now at the time. <laughs> right. I could fucking stand her. I was always trying to get away from her and she would like have to like hustle after me and she'd get mad at me for like getting away from her. <laughs> oh man. What yeah, was I her mean, name? I don't know. Oh, no okay. idea. No idea. No idea. That's funny. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So six weeks and then, and then when you got out, it was because your insurance ran out. My insurance ran out. And my mom, once I had the first ECT treatment, my mom started lobbying them to let me go home um, to Florida, where, where I'm from. Um, she was like, you know, let her out. Let me take her home. And they wouldn't do it. Um, they ran out my insurance at the hospital. Um, and then when I finally got out, I was really disoriented. And my mom said that I was like, she said that personality-wise, I was like a child, like, I didn't have much of a filter. Like I just sort of said whatever was on my mind. And um, I don't really remember a lot of like the first maybe week or two after I got out of the hospital. Um, but when I ended up back in Florida, I was staying at my mom's house and I was basically just sleeping all the time. I was very depressed, yeah. deeply depressed. And I, uh, 
you know, your my body had gone through a lot of physical um, and mental and emotional trauma in the hospital. And like, you know, my natural state is clinical depression anyway. So under those circumstances, I was deeply fucking depressed. And I stayed that way for almost two years. Looking at where your life is now, do you feel that podcasting has a sort of antidepressant quality? Oh, well, there's no antidepressant like a medication. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I mean, none of this would be possible if I wasn't taking a medication. Having said that, like medication is, while the most, it's the most, for me, it's the most essential tool in my toolbox. It's not the only one. Yeah, I do think that podcasting is a creative outlet, communicating with people, um, even doing like the mental rigor of organizing my thoughts to have a conversation. Yeah, I do think that those are helpful. Um, but I, there's a lot of other things to do too, you know, exercise, meditate, try to eat well, get some sunshine. Um, you know, I make a gratitude list every morning. Just five things I'm grateful for. That's um, great. What was on the list today? Oh, boy. I don't have it in front of me. Oh, wait, here we go. Um, oh, wait, I'm sorry. My phone is off. I have to turn my phone on. Oh, that's okay. No worries. Um, so while my phone is turning on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, having... Um, chronic clinical depression is like having um uh, a part-time job that you're always doing which is treating your depression um and you know there's been times when i've done it better than others there's been times when all i've done is just take my meds and those are times when i've been depressed right well that's what they say that progress isn't isn't linear that progress is you know it's not it's not a straight upward slope it can go all over the place but you can still end up on the right path. Yeah. I spent about 18 years either very, either very depressed or mildly depressed. And I was on medication the whole time. It just, um, um, you know, sometimes it wasn't working as well as others, but I, I've been after some experimentation on more or less on the same medication this whole time. And last year, um, for the very first time, um, the depression lifted and I haven't been depressed for about a year. Um, for you. That's fantastic. Yeah, I got really lucky. I mean, I couldn't, I can't, I'm, you know, I wasn't doing anything um, differently. It just, I just got lucky, I think. Um, Let's see, here's my gratitude list. Um, Oh, Joanna's on my gratitude list. Okay, so the first thing on my gratitude list was a great night out with a close friend. I had had, um, dinner with a friend last night. Number two is a productive call with my executive producer. That's Joanna. I admire her and love working with her. Um... Three is a short story that I read. Four is I got to make an amends to a friend that I had, whose feelings I had hurt. And then five was I, (laughs) five is uh, I didn't wake up in a closet this morning. I had woken up in a literal closet before when drinking. I'm a sober alcoholic too. So, um, and I've definitely woken up in some closet. So today I wrote down that I was grateful that I woke up in bed and not in a closet. Those are beautiful things to be grateful for. I am am very happy to hear that. (laughs) You know, making a daily gratitude list is such a pain in the ass um, sometimes. (laughs) It's really a, it's it's an intellectual rigor because like, especially in in the pandemic, because I'm doing almost exactly the same thing every single day. 
So trying to think of something new, trying to come up with something new that isn't the same as yesterday is just like, is, is a lot of work. Right. No, I bet it is. Especially like, do you do it right when you wake up or do you wake up first and then maybe like um, over breakfast, you kind of write it out? I, I do it in the morning. Um, I get a lit, I have a friend who wakes up before me and she does it too. And so I, I usually wake up and, and hers is on my phone. So it's a reminder to do it. Gotcha. Um, and I, I, I do think that there's something amazing about um, practicing things like compassion and gratitude and um, in they like improve, they improve your state of mind. Um, But it's not the same as like the power of positive thinking, right? Like I'm not like out here trying to only think positive, happy thoughts all the time, because that's like, that's just a different way of oppressing myself and others. Of course. Yeah. You have to, you have to normalize the natural range of emotions. It's not all yep. going to be happy. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But How I can, do, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Please after you. I was going to say like, I actually put, I put all of my emotions on my gratitude list. Like if I'm sad, I'm like, I'll put it on the list the next day. I'll be like, I was sad yesterday and I was crying and I'm grateful that I get to feel that at all. Absolutely. That's something to be grateful Mm -hmm. for because how fucked up would life be if you were happy at everything all the time? Well, you wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't know any different. Well, I I guess so. But I I, I need to look. Or you'd be high. (laughs) Right. Well, (laughs) you'd be high all the time. And then you'd be dead. (laughs) There's something to be grateful for. but Yeah. (laughs) Um, How do you meditate? Oh, I do mindfulness meditation. Okay. Um, and I, um, I do guided meditation. Um, there's a couple of different podcasters that I listen to. One is Tara Brock. She's a very popular um, Buddhist teacher. And um, uh, Tara Brock, B-R-A-C-H. And um, the other one is uh, a man named Josh Korda, K-O-R-D-A is his last name, Korda. And he does, um, he teaches... Um, his podcasts are called Dharma punks NYC. Um, and I, I like him too. Um, and then I have the headspace app on my phone and sometimes during the pandemic, I've, I've really like, um, taken it very easy on myself. And some days I'll only do a three minute meditation on the headspace app. And I, I let that count as my meditation. Um, sometimes I, there's a couple of groups that I've, joined where I go on zoom and I meditate in a group. Um, well, I would usually. love to do that. Yeah. I would love to do that. I, I, I try to meditate for about 15 minutes every day. I don't, sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I get so caught up in what's going on in the morning that I, that I, 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 yeah. I, I put it aside or I forget, but almost like being in a podcast network, it must be nice to be in a group of like-minded people who sort of keep each other on track. It is nice. Yeah. It's yeah. harder to, it's harder to focus on zoom than it is to in, in like an actual like room. And cause I used to go to like meeting rooms to meditate with people. So we would all be in the same room together, which is really nice. That's, I don't believe in God. I'm, um, I'm an atheist. Um, I don't care what other people believe, believe though. Like I'm fine with people believing in God if that's what helps them. Um, but, um, but I feel very spiritual in a room with other people when we're all meditating. That's like the closest to a spiritual God feeling I've ever had. Um, so I miss it very much. Yes, definitely. Yeah. There, there is a, there is a healing quality to being around people who, um, who are after what you're after, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that be an interest or a sort of, you know, an emotional or mental state. If you're, if you're all, if you're all working towards that, you know, that common goal, I mean, that's a, that's a bonding experience, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
I have the I have the Calm app on my phone. A, a couple months ago, Reddit gave a free year of Calm to everyone who is a moderator of a subreddit. And I oh. moderate and I moderate the game show subreddit. So they gave me a free subscription for a year and I haven't used it yet. And I feel like such a jackass for not using it. Oh my I've god, Christian, wanted, you gotta use it. I know I have to use it. I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, I I try to raw dog it. I try to just like close my eyes and 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 stop my stop my eyeballs from moving and focus forward with my eyelids closed and 10, 15 minutes a day of that feels like it does the job, but yeah, I need to use it. Yeah, I, I, I um, alternate between just silent meditation and guided meditation. Um, yeah, sometimes my mind can't do silent meditation in any kind of productive way, and I have to do guided meditation. Um, my favorite meditations are loving kindness guided meditations. Um, Tara Brock has some, and you basically you put your you you put your right hand over your heart. Um, and you focus on um, sending like loving thoughts out like during your meditation. And uh, it feels really good to do it. Like it actually feels good. You feel, um, you feel yourself relaxed. You feel yourself feel like, like um, emotionally open. And um, sometimes when I do it, I almost like cry from feeling good. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing well, what you can do in meditation, what, what, your, what your mind can achieve. It's pretty fucking crazy. I remember my first experience with meditation. I had just graduated high school. This, so this was, I graduated high school in 06. So this was in 07, beginning of 07. I started taking acting classes in New York. I was living in Connecticut and I was taking the train once a week to a place on 45th Street in New York, like right outside of Times Square and I was taking classes. And our instructor, um, you know, in our first class and every class after that, in the first class, he explained that he's different from a lot of the other instructors and in that he begins his class with a meditation. If anyone's not familiar with meditation, um, he'll walk us through it. And he put music on and we did these meditations where we stood with our feet kind of apart and our arms sort of out to the side, almost like a starfish shape. And he just focused on every, every limb and, and, mm -hmm. And we took all the stress and all the problems and all the pain that was contained in that limb. And we just visualize it leaving our body and just exploding like fireworks a million miles away. And I remember the first time we did that, like I just started sobbing because you don't mm. realize how much, you don't realize how much fucking clutter is in there until you like open the attic and take a look. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember that being such a, uh, such a transformative experience for me. And I didn't realize that that's something I could do on my own. That's like that I can do that. I can maintain that part of me, you know? Yeah. Body scan meditation. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, I love those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was incredible. Yeah. And then when you mentioned the loving care meditation, I put my right hand. Loving kindness. My, was, oh, sorry. The loving kindness meditation. Mm -hmm. I, I put my hand, my right hand up to my heart. And as you were describing what that does for you, I felt that like mm -hmm. I immediately feel like I'm being cradled. Like that feels yes. like a very peaceful place to be. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. And it feels like, um, for me, it always feels like my chest is opening up and it not in, in like a, like my rib cage is expanding. Um, and like, a in a way that like more, more air is getting in, in, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I, I'm feel not, like, I feel like fuller and more, um, Yeah. 
don't know, right almost like, like you're able to receive more air from the it, world you know what mm-hmm. i mean like you're able to to take yeah. it in more yeah no I, yeah. I, I i totally understand that yeah it's a great feeling what is something so i'm trying to think of how to ask this <laughs> for a person who lives outside of a major metropolitan area what is something a person like that can do to voice their displeasure with the treatment of African-Americans by law enforcement, short of going to a protest, what is a way you can disrupt the world and let the world know how unhappy you are with that type of behavior? Um, I think amplifying other voices is the first thing we do. Um, I think it also depends on the person. Um, I would would only... I would say, um, you know, as a, as a white person, I try to amplify, um, in this movement, I try to amplify black voices. So that, that, so to me, what that looks like is a lot of like reposting and, um, and retweeting and, you know, and like pushing, pushing messages to the forefront. Um, secondly, it's, um, um, getting involved in, um, petition signing, calling, and letter writing. Um, I think calling is very important, um, especially when things are happening um, in cities where law enforcement is less responsive to to do the right thing. Um, calling, um, Calling attorney generals, calling district attorneys, calling mayors, calling their offices and saying like, this is, you know, like, I guess I would use Brianna Taylor as an example um, in Louisville. You know, it's been over, let's see, it's been like 160 plus days as of this, as of today. So that's, how many months is that? That's, it's been like five and a half months right. since she was murdered in her bed by police. Um, they were executing a no-knock warrant, meaning they, and they, with, with guns drawn, I mean, they were there to shoot somebody. Um, you know, cops murder drug dealers all the time and uh, they were there to kill drug dealers and they killed an innocent woman instead, but they were there to commit a murder. Right. Um, executing a no-knock warrant, like plain clothes, guns drawn, like shooting, shooting to kill that they were there to kill somebody and they killed. Um, and if they had killed a drug dealer, they would have committed a murder. But, you know, as it happens, they got the wrong apartment and they killed Brianna Taylor and then they um, left her without medical treatment while she was still alive and arrested her fiance. Um, and they're all walking free today because the Kentucky attorney general is fighting the fucking governor on mask wearing. That's his whole thing right now. He's just trying to keep people out of masks. It's crazy what's happening in Kentucky. It's and insane. so without, without sustained attention and sustained pressure on the state of Kentucky, on the city of Louisville, on the attorney general, on the mayor of Louisville, on the police department of Louisville, on the, without sustained attention and pressure, um, nothing will ever happen um, to these cops that murdered Breonna Taylor. So I guess um, for me, it's, it, it's hard to focus on everything that's happening. Um, but, you know, 
yesterday um, there was a new a new killing where police shot a man six times in the back um, for checking on his own kids in his car after breaking up a fight. Um, it's a crazy. It's I I saw a video on social media without knowing what it was. It was just on my feed, so I I didn't actually I don't I don't tend to watch uh, shooting videos. Um, I can imagine it just fine. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, the description is enough. Also, there's something horribly voyeuristic about watching um, black people be murdered. And I, and I I don't, um, I'm not sure how I feel about how, how valuable it is. Anyway, I saw it and I was like, this is fucking crazy. This guy was not, he was not a threat. He wasn't doing anything except, you know, (laughs) anyway. Well, do you think that part of the value of videos like that, if there, if there is a value, do you think that part of it is to enrage the people who aren't necessarily aware that this is such a prevalent problem? I don't know how anybody could be, uh, could not be aware at this point how prevalent a problem it is. Oh, you haven't come to are, Lancaster. It's, well, it's, it's, unless yeah. they're determined to stay ignorant. Some people are willfully ignorant and there's no amount of videos you could show them to change their mind. Right. Um, I, I, I think there, I know there's a lot of different opinions about whether or not it's valuable to show videos or um, footage of, of death. Um, and I know that, um, that some people think it's really valuable and, and they might be right and I might be wrong. Um, but what I think about as a white person watching a black person being murdered in a video is um, how little did we value this person's life to begin with that we're circulating this video without any respect for their family. Um, that's what I think about. I'm like, like how are we devaluing them further by, by circulating this, this video of their, of their body being killed? Um, right. And in that way, I feel like death has become less sacred you know that that it's 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 just uh mm-hmm. it could be quantified as a video clip as a shareable sort of piece of data yeah. you know when in you know in the past as as sad as it always is in the past there was a bit more privacy to that process yeah you know, i, do I think can't that... imagine being a person's parent and just like you scrolling through facebook you know and just happen mm-hmm. to see their son die in a video like that you know there's that side of it too. Like that, that would be terrible. Yeah. And um, I do think though that the people that I know that share the videos um, that I know personally who share them, I, I, I believe that they are doing them for the right reason that they, that they think they're helping and um, that they're not doing it um, out of disrespect, that they're doing it out of a call to action. Um, So I don't know, I guess I am. I have mixed feelings about it. That's, and that's okay. It is okay to not feel one way or the other about it or, mm-hmm. or to feel both ways about it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all okay. Yeah. Um, I am going to go have dinner, but before I go, I want you to tell me the name of your podcast and everything that it's about and where we okay. can find it and the website and everything. Okay. So um, the podcast is called The Revolving Door. I'm the host. My name is Honey Leave It. Um, it's on the apocalypse podcast network. Um, and you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, 
and Spotify. Um, we release new episodes every Friday. And what, what it is, is it's a comedy podcast about sex, love, and relationships. And we talk to all kinds of different people. We've talked to authors, artists, comedians, sex workers, um, <laughs> neighbors. Uh, my most recent interview was somebody that I've had sex with. Um, and we, we did a, we did a, um, an experimental episode where we sat down and tried to see how honest we could get with each other about our experience together. And it was very uncomfortable, but it ended up being pretty, pretty fun and interesting. Um, yeah. So it can be pretty lighthearted and sometimes we get into some serious stuff. Um, well, like I said on Twitter, I think that honesty is the, most valuable thing a podcast can have. And I think that yours brings that. And I'm very mm -hmm. grateful for that. And I'm grateful that you are shaking it up and doing the uncomfortable stuff. Cause I think yeah. that that's, that's the fucking best. It's so good when it's uncomfortable, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. that's where so, all the growth happens. It, that's exactly where all the growth happens. Honey, thank you for talking to me. I'm glad you're okay. And I <laughs> appreciate all the honesty that you shared with me. Thank you, uh, and I'm, of course, and I'm very, very glad we're not strangers anymore. Thank you yes. so much. All right. It was nice to meet you. And I'm yes. sure we will talk soon. Absolutely. And, and, and good luck with the podcast. And Thanks, uh, you too. thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Have a All good right. Night. Have a good night. Yep. Yeah. Bye bye. Okay, bye. Stranger Than Christian is produced by me, Christian Carrion, from my studio in beautiful downtown Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. Visit StrangerThanChristian.com to listen to my past episodes, send me an email, or apply to be my next guest. Also, follow me on Facebook at Stranger Than Christian and on Twitter at Stranger Than C. If you enjoyed the show, I would greatly appreciate your support on Patreon. Until next time, my name is Christian Carrion. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next time to another episode of Stranger Than Christian. Bye-bye. Trash Comedy is the podcast where we trade sweet, sweet facts like they're dirty little pieces of gossip. We're a New York-based comedy team and we're joined each week with a funny, delightful friend. After each person shares their facts, we rate those facts from, oh my god, that's not hot, that's as cold as the coldest ice you've ever seen, to, oh my god, that's so spicy, my mouth is gone. So if that made sense to you, then please join us on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. Could it be the giant pink dress? <gasps> you didn't like what, you didn't like a Jimbo outfit? How dare you? I know. Hi, I'm Mijan. And I'm Nick. I like to call myself a semi-drag race expert. And I've never seen it before. So join us on our podcast, Whispering Hunties, every week for drag race expertise. And the exact opposite of that. Either way, it's a kiki. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, okay. 
Get How out. could I Get possibly? Out. Take your no. cute cats that keep walking all over you and making know. me wish that I had a My pet. Sweet little debris. Get, get out of this podcast. I need a door slam like <laughs> right now as I throw you out of the house. Because this virus attacks the lungs. It's never more infuriating when you realize that your life has a price tag on it. The truth of the matter is we are in the middle of an apocalypse. There's no leadership. I went from being an ER nurse to you're a healthcare hero. I feel like a sham. Apocalypse Now is a podcast that asks if we are living at the beginning of the end. I'm Joanna Van Thine. Join me every week as I talk with interesting people and decide if we're all doomed. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. 